Psalm 1 to 6. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. It was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. That is the word of God. Well, we're on this journey, just as these pilgrims were on their journey once or two or three times a year to Jerusalem, to the big festivals. But you know, you must, some of you must have felt this in this Christian life that you get very dry, right? You get weary in the Christian life, if you're honest. And as they go around the country, some even leaders say, actually, if they're honest, they're disappointed. They're a bit disappointed. They expected so much. And yet, well, it doesn't seem to be like that this morning. Oh, for others, it's fine. Across, look, those are across the room. It's fine. You were climbing well. You were climbing the mountain, but now you're stuck in the tea room now. That's where you are. And you know, the great hymns of our faith and one hymn we used to sing in the writer where is the blessedness that once I knew when first I saw the light? Where's it gone? You must have felt that. And, um, oh, you work hard. Nobody's denying that. You know, you're persevering. But Jesus says, and he says to a church in Ephesus, Oh, he said, I know your hard work and your perseverance, but I have this against you. You've lost your first love. Now, I don't think that just means love for Jesus and the Lord. The scholars say that as well. They think it's also, it's love for the people of God, love for the things of God. You've lost it. And if we're honest, I hope we are on this Sunday morning, we say, you know, we are expecting more perhaps. That's why we sang these great hymns. Thank you. These songs we sang. Terrific. There's a longing, isn't there? And um, well, let's look at the psalm. Look at the psalm. Verses 1 to 3. He looks. He gives thanks. They've come back from, let's say, some think it's when they returned from, from exile, from Babylon. It was written then. Others say, well, no, it, it could relate to a bigger theme altogether. From other deliverances. But they came back. And uh, we, they said, we were like men who dreamed. It was wonderful. It was just, it was real. It was just great. I remember reading of a few years ago of a, a, a pastor from Czechoslovakia. And he, when the communist regime was ended, he said, you know, he said, before then we could preach once a week to a select group. And then when the communist regime went, it was wonderful. We could preach anywhere. 
And at the schools, we didn't have to teach them all about communist dogma. We could teach them about God and Jesus. And he actually said, he said, we thought we must be dreaming. And, it, and that's what this psalmist says. You know, we thought we must be dreaming. Our mouths were filled with laughter and tongues of joy. Now, it may be like that with you. When you first became a Christian. You remember those days? Some, some a long while ago. You know, I just couldn't wait to be at church. I just couldn't wait to be with the people of God and be in the fellowship. Just, it was so heady stuff. Great stuff. It was a great time. Or else it may be, you know, when you were first filled or baptized in the Spirit. Just wonderful. You know, you had to pinch yourself. I remember, I remember driving through a snowstorm in Cumbria, praising God, and I thought, who is this guy driving this car? I couldn't believe it was me, this. I thought, this is wonderful. What has happened? Well, of course, we were all part of this thing that God was doing in Britain and through the world, this renewal of his people. And you've been like that. You know, you came to live in waters. You came to your church. You couldn't wait. It was just wonderful. It was really great stuff. It was like a dream. Well, go back to reality. No, no, that was reality. And we were like those who dreamed. And, uh, you were, and, and, and Peter says the same. You were filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. And the people of God came out, the, came out of the deep freeze, didn't they? They let the hair down and put the hands up, right? It's an amazing time. And uh, it was good. I mean, and God did great things for us. Now, <laughs> there were still problems, but now there were problems of life. Previous to church, there were problems of dying and death. But now we have problems of life. People running out of the room because they couldn't go with the, what was going on. But actually, just to give a, a, a broader field, there was a great move of God. You have to look back and see it. Oliver Barclay, who was one of the leaders in the InterVarsity Fellowship, said there was a, a great advance in Britain on biblical Christianity from 1945 to 1995. And he traced it. You know, there was... You, this may not apply to some of you, may not be relevant, but it, it is in one sense. There was a, a restoration of biblical scholarship. I remember years ago you couldn't find it. Well, very few good Christian books now with a plethora of great evangelical scholarship. Bible schools were started and started to flourish. There were student missions led by Stott and others. Huge numbers through the universe, I remember. In different, right through Britain. And... Um, there was a tremendous influence. The, the, the Bible-believing Christians started having influence in Britain. Things like tear fund and socially aware things became relevant. And, and, and we were aware of it. I remember many who started going abroad to serve the Lord. It was a great time. And, and many young men were... <laughs> They who loved the word were going to the Baptist mission, were ordinance in the Anglican. Numbers has never seen before for centuries, well not centuries, but certainly decades. There's a great move of God. And then on top of all that, churches were planted. Then the charismatic movement came. 
And many of us in this room were converted in those 50 years. Well, mostly, I guess. Uh, those of certain years. But it was, I mean, it just, it, that, that is a fact of history. And the good of it is we're living in the good of it. And, uh, and God did many amazing things. And it, even, he said, among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And even the world and the sociologists in Britain had to say, well, they had to admit something was happening. Marriages were saved. You know, uh, drug addicts were being uh, set free from their addiction. Churches were coming to life again. And um, things were happening. And yeah, we could say as the psalmist, yeah, the Lord has done great things for for us. And we are filled with joy. But actually... And I'm not, that's wonderful. But actually, if you look in your Bible, the key verse is verse 4. That's the key verse. That's what he's saying. He says, restore our fortunes, O Lord. In other words, work a total change in our situation. He he thanks God for the past. But he says, work a a total change. Because there is a spiritual battle on in Britain. And uh, if you do physics or chemistry, there's such a thing as the law of entro- entropy, and, uh, which means energy always works down. <clears throat> and it works in the spiritual realm as well as the physical and chemistry level. There's a second law of spiritual thermodynamics and things go down. And we need again, restore our fortunes, he says, Lord. You know? I stand, and we, we, you don't need to be a great observer to, to look in our land and see this. Things are ch- falling fast in Britain. Freedom of speech it will go, is going. What you can say and what you can't say. And moral standards are dropping fast. Permissiveness, things that we, we would have been ashamed of in the past, our lifestyles that we thought were perverse are now classed as normal. And we live in a polluted atmosphere, as Neil referred to the Sunday morning. If our grandparents were to see our television, what we watch on television, they would be aghast at what, what we show. And we get used to it. You know, the gas board tells us that North Sea gas is odorless. So what they do, they put a, something in it to make it smell. But this, actually, you can get used to that. And if you live in that atmosphere long enough, it'll poison you and finally kill you. You can get used to this stuff. And that's the great danger of the people of God. We can, we can get used to it. And so the psalmist says, and this is the passion of his heart, revive us, restore us, awaken us again. Restore our fortunes. Now what does he mean by our fortunes? Well, why did God get hold of you to start with? Why are you here this morning? What is God doing? What is your fortune? It's not to, you know, to get lucky and uh, make a financial fortune or come into a fortune. <clears throat> no, it's, it, it's, it, it's not to get all the things out in life. It's not to be a success in all you do. He's not saying that. Not successful in all your attempt in all, and all your needs. He's not saying the great offer, the great offer of being the people of God 
in that time when the Psalms were written, or today, is that the living God gets hold of you. He deals with your guilt. He wants you to live in the life and the passion of God himself. He wants your life to be changed. The offer of Christianity is that you will, will become like Jesus Christ. Christian, this is your destiny. You will one day be conformed into his image. And that's what he's doing. That you are free from all the power of guilt, of sin and its pollution and violence. And you can be a free, normal human being. Like Jesus, as Karl Barth's called, the real man. And that's the core. That's our fortune. That's what we're after. And that's what these people restore us again. We are the people of God, they were saying as they march. Make us like the people of God. In our life, in our living. Well, we must get on. What an offer. Well, he... so, what... so what's the point of looking back then? What's the point of looking back? You see, nostalgia is a terrible thing. It's a wonderful thing. Things are great in the past, weren't they? I wish you some of the youngsters could have been around. You know, no, he's not saying that at all. He's not saying that at all. The hope he's saying, the God who did that is the same God. He has not changed. The God who brought us out of Babylon is the same God as this morning. The God who brought us out of Egypt is the same God. The God who enabled Abraham and Sarah to conceive in their old age and bear a son is the same God. The, the, the God who impregnated the womb of Mary and produced his son in a human form is the same God. That's what he's saying. Don't wallow. Oh, they were great days. No, no. The point of looking back is not to wallow in nostalgia and say, you were sorry you weren't around. No, no. Absolute opposite. It's to do with hope. That's what he's saying. It's hope. Now then, <clears throat> he hasn't changed. How does he work? Well, look what, look what he says. Verse 4. Like streams in the Negev, in the desert. If you've been to Israel, you'll know that in the south, the Negev, it's a barren, arid, treeless, rocky bit of land. It's a desert. But occasionally, occasionally, the clouds darken and it becomes black. And then the rain comes, thundering down. And the waters are filled and it floods. And then in a few hours and days, the whole desert blossoms. Like a rose. It's wonderful. It's a miracle. And it happens. I don't know how many times a year in the Negev, but they all knew us. God, come, come like a flash flood and revive us. Now that's what revival is. It's the, the supernatural work of God in a community, in a village, in a, in a country. It's not like the Americans call it some, a, a church of mission where you're having a revival. You can't have a revival. It's to do with God's sovereignty. But he comes and he comes and and he revives us. And and we we, we have to pray for this. Whatever else we do, my friends, we have to pray every day that there will be a harvest. 
for the 95% of this land who are going to a lost, who are under the wrath of judgment of God and going to a lost. We have to pray every day that God he will come like a flash flood. And he comes and, um, and floods the land. And it's wonderful. Now, I was talking to somebody the other day about the charismatic movement and they said, well, and we were talking about the great, you know, being together and all the stuff we did and he said, you know, you can't do that now. People are too busy. Their jobs take too much time and all this IT stuff, they're constantly preoccupied. Well, I want to say it's nonsense that. Some of you remember, some of you are very ancient. Some of you are very ancient. You can remember, even when you were younger, I remember before television, there was a time. We were, there was just as many distractions, right? Teenagers can find just as many distractions. There's, there's always been distractions, my friends. But is anything too hard for the Lord? And that's what we, we, we have to pray, you know? We serve an all-powerful all God. And God does send his rivers of, uh, of his spirit to the dried up streams. And, 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 and if you've time to read about it, the move of God, when he comes sovereignly and like a flash flood, it, revival comes quickly. There's an urgency about it. And uh, now, you know, on the mainland, we have not seen anything like this for over 100 years. The Welsh revival of 1904-5 was the last thing on the the mainland that would be like this. When God came and renewed and refreshed the whole community, the the whole land was changed. As Campbell Campbell, uh, Duncan, sorry, Duncan Campbell, who used to, one of the leaders at the Lewis Revival in 48 said, it was, Revival is a community saturated with God. That's what we pray for. Now sometimes it's just a church. I remember when I was a student, we, I, I worshipped occasionally in Charlotte Chapel in Rose Street in Edinburgh. And at the beginning of the last century, that happened to the whole church. And um, Joseph Kemp, the pastor, he writes this, there was nothing humanly speaking, to account for what happened. Quite suddenly, upon one and another came an overwhelming sense of the majesty and awfulness of his presence and of eternal things. Life, death, and eternity seemed suddenly laid bare. He says there's nothing to explain it. In one sense, it was just God came sovereignly in that community. And we have to pray for that. But also, there's our part. Let's look at the next. This is what we have to do. Because God works also in other ways. And he says, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. This is, in one sense, just as supernatural. It's sowing. It's hard work in those days. To sow in the, in the Middle East in those days, it wasn't like with our great machine drills that they do our fields around our village. No, no. You went out with your bag of seeds and it was, it was a slow job. By hand. Took time, a lot of time to do se- several acres. Now, my friends, this is what we have to do. We are called, whatever else you hear this morning, 
We are called to sow. How do we sow? We sow, first of all, in prayer. Right? We sow for our children. Every day. We pray for them every day. We pray for our parents alive. We pray for them every day. We pray for our siblings every day. We pray for our church leaders every day. We pray for those whom God's put on every day. We pray for those in authority every day. We pray for the leaders of this church every day. We sow, we sow, we sow. Year in, year out. And that's what we're called to do. Year in, year out. You may not actually see what you're after. I remember one of my great heroes was a man called William Grimshaw. He was in Haworth where I used to work in Yorkshire. And um, this, he was a contemporary of John Wesley. And he was a great apostle to West Yorkshire. Fantastic effect. But he had two daughters and a son. And his son was wild. And he never came to the Lord. And he was an embarrassment to William Grimshaw. As Grimshaw was fated around the, that area. But after William Grimshaw died... His son came to the Lord. And his son said, I bet my dad will be surprised to see me in heaven. (laughs) You you know, we sow, we sow, we sow, right? That's what we're called to do. But also we sow a godly life. We sow, Hosea says, sow to yourself in righteousness. We sow a godly life. I am here today because my spiritual father sowed a godly lifestyle. Every day when I stayed in his house, I saw a godly lifestyle. And we do that. You sow it for your children. They may rubbish you and ridicule us, but you sow a godly lifestyle. You won't, you, you know, you may not be popular. But, you know, the old adage by Emerson, sow a thought. Reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. Well, it's true that. We sow. All our life, every day is important. You're sowing. You sow kindness. Who can I bless today? Who can I build today? Who can I encourage today? Forget about yourself and your aches and pains. How can I bless somebody today? Who can I write to? Who can I email to? Who can I text today? Who can I phone today? Who can I bless today? Sow, sow. That's what it's about. You sow. We sow the word. I'm so grateful that Sunday school teachers sold the word into my life and youth leaders sold the word into my life and students at university sold the word into my life. You know, obnoxious teenager that I was. I'm so glad. We have to sow the word when nothing seems to happen. If you're working among Muslims, you have to sow the word and nothing seems to be happening. It's like sowing on concrete. You sow, year in, year out, you sow. You disseminate the word. That book I recommended by Nabil Sharif. You know, his friend David was four years ministering to this young Muslim man before he he committed himself. Neil mentioned um, William Carey the other week. And William Carey, the great cobbler from, shoemaker from North Anson, he went to Calcutta in a very dark time with a very troubled wife he had. And this little man who said, you know, I can plod. That was, that's my gift. I can plod. He said, seven years, seven years before he saw one convert. And there weren't many after that, actually. But I go to India now and some of the churches will look back to missionaries. 
A hundred years ago, who had a hard time, and yet today, in certain states, there's a reaping. Because people sold the word. You sow it. Now, it means also, you sow, sow in tears. <laughs> Unfortunately, look at the text. You sow in tears. That means we sow we don't feel like it. The one we feel like in life is crying. Some things make you cry. I hope they do. But the farmer knows. I was out in the, uh, I was walking this morning in the cornfield and I got some, that they'll, they'll probably reap this harvest this week. It's probably ready this week. But the farmer knows if he doesn't sow, he won't eat, he won't eat well in those days, he won't eat this winter. If you don't sow this wheat, you won't, you won't reap. And it's, it's true. And that's what it's about. And it's, it's hard work. It's hard work. And you will not be popular. You re- look at some of what they said about Jesus. A young man leading a Christian union in Britain. He loves everyone. He's a gracious young man. And yet because of his views on sexuality, he's called a homophobe and a bigot. Yeah, you couldn't meet a more gracious life. It will be that way, my friends. It was that way with Jesus. You will be hated by all men because of me by Jesus. That doesn't mean you're too obnoxious. That might come natural to you. Don't try that one. No, no. We have to be gracious, loving. But we have to keep our standards, church. The church is caving in all over. As our headmaster used to say to me, boys, I am not paid to be popular. And we knew that. We certainly knew that. It's hard work. And we do it, my friends. We sow in tears. Whether we're sad or happy, whether it's hard work, whether there's there's nothing to show. We sow. It's slow. But what God is trying to produce in us is godly people. And a sign of a godly person is you're a sower. Let me change the illustration. Not far from where I, just, I was brought up was certain caves, limestone caves, where I, and we used to go. And in these caves, the, from the ceilings, they would drip. It rains a lot up there. And they would drip. And from the roof would just become a small little protuberance, a staggle tight, and up from the floor would come a staggle mat, and they would meet, and you'd get a pillar, a it took centuries, well, decades, yeah, centuries probably. It took a long while. Every little drip had a tiny little bit of calcium carbonate and it deposited over the decades and centuries. There became a pillar. It's a slow we, we long for pillars and strong women and men in the church. It doesn't happen overnight, my friends. It's the slow drip, drip of God's word into your life and as you sow it, you become like him. And pillars, strong people are produced. We live in an instant age, the microwave. Think, why is this microwave taking so long? <laughs> oh, this computer is so slow. Well, you need to get onto God's timetable. You know? And we sow. We sow kindness. We sow in love. We so love in our marriage when there's nothing going back from him. He's hard and unresponsive and it's difficult and miserable. You so love and tenderness and thoughtfulness. No matter what's coming back, you so. 
You saw your children when they're stropping obstreperous. You're so righteous and love and patient. You're so all the time. And uh, it's hard work. And uh, as dear Churchill said in 1940, I have nothing to offer you this morning. But blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We're so in tears, he says. And uh, then God suddenly works. And then God, uh, not, and then something happens. But we long for the revival, for the flash floods. But actually, our call today is to sow. We sow, we sow in tears. Now you have to do your part. That's the balance of scripture. Paul says to Timothy, reflect on what I say. Then he says, and the Lord will give you insight. Two things, you reflect, the Lord will give. Like to Jude, he says to Jude, Jude says, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep yourself. Three verses later he says, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you, you know? So we do our part. God does his part. It's all supernatural in one sense. And uh, see, we want everything quick. See, people say, I want to be filled with the Spirit. And they say, I came to the front and nothing happened. My friends, you have to hunger. Jesus says, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they are the one that will be filled. And well, nothing happened. Well, I know I came many times till it happened, but I was jolly well going to have what God's going to give me. You've got to go for it and go for it and go for it until God knows you mean business. We, he does fill us. And, but the, I must close by saying, you know, God's promised to stand. Those who are sowing tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will, re, will return. This is the promise of God. With songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. My friends, there's two principles. If you don't sow, you don't reap, and your life will be barren. But the promise is if you do sow, God says, you will reap. That's God's promise. You see? And don't be put off by the hard work. You know, the loneliness, nothing happens philosophy. You don't give up. Never give up. I quote Churchill again, never give up. Never, never, never. In nothing, never give up. In nothing great or small, large or petty. Never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. As you go out, you sow your seed. Well, you say it's just a waste waste of time and I know you go out in the field and assume the soil engulfs the seed and it's gone it's lost well actually this is a, it's a parable of life isn't it it's, that's what it's about whoever loses his life for my sake will save it, it's, it will, you find life you seem to lose it, but you find it. But it's our Lord's was the same. Was He's the perfect model. He comes to Jesus. He sows the word. 
He solves it in his tears and his prayers. He solves, goes through the Israel, Palestine, sowing the word. He sows it. And then finally, he sows his life on a cross to rescue a fallen mankind. But there is a day of resurrection. And he rises with joy. Who for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? He knew that one day there'll be a multitude that no man can number whose faces and your part of them will be so full of joy and love and fullness. And Jesus saw that. And for the joy that was set before him, not just to be back with his dad and his father, yes, but it's to do with you and the, those people who he's seeking for. For the joy that was set before him, he will see the travel of his soul and he will be satisfied, says Isaiah. And that's what it's about. He comes. He, he, will, he will come home with joy, carrying sheaves with him. If you, as he sowed his life, so we must sow our lives. And that's what it's about. And we look back in hope. God has not changed. Well, it was great if you were here at the beginning of this church. No, no, the best is yet to be, my friend. I don't buy that nonsense. God is the same today, yesterday and forever. And so is his son. Let me finish with a story. There was a, in 1921, two missionaries called David and Sphere Flood from Sweden went to, were called by God to, um, to Central Africa, to what is known, or what, the Belgian Congo. And they arrived there and... Um, and they felt called with another couple of missionaries to go up country to an area which had never been reached. But as they came there, the, the head of the village says, no way you're going to come near my village. You've got to encamp a, a, a while, a, a fair way away. So they did that, and there was just, they were allowed a young boy to, to, do the mess, to carry the messages and bring the food. Anyway, Sphere, the wife, led this young boy to the Lord. But then, um, the two other missionaries with them got malaria and said, we, we have to leave. So they left. At the same time, Sphere gets malaria. She's heavily pregnant. She has the baby, and within a few days' time, she dies. David Fodd then has to dig the grave for his 27-year-old wife, and, uh, and bury her. And um, so what he did, he took, he had their little two-year-old boy out before then. He took the little girl that had been born and they gave the little girl to two American missionaries in the mission station. And he said, God has ruined my life. God has ruined my life. And he said, I can't take care of this baby. I'm going back to Sweden. So he went back to Sweden and... Um, and the little girl, as they called her Aggie, went with these missionaries as when they eventually returned to America. They returned to America and um, she grew up. One day, by chance, she saw a Swedish magazine. In this Christian, or it must have been Christian magazine, she saw a, a picture of a grave. And on that grave song was Sphere Flood. So she determined she would go back to... Sweden and see if you could find her real father. 
And so, to cut a long short, she went back. He had married again. He had four children. But unfortunately, he was a total alcoholic. His life had been ruined. And she met the sister, a half-sibling, and asked about her dad. Well, you can see him, but I must tell you, if you mention God, he will be furious. Anyway, she went to see him, and I've got the script of what, what happened. And he was delighted to see her. And as she walked in, she called him Papa. And he began to cry. And he apologized profusely. And she said, it's all right, Papa. God took care of me. And, and as, instantly, as soon as he mentioned the word God, he stiffened. He stiffened. And, um, and uh, he, he said, you know, that God, God didn't take care of him, you know. And... Uh, He's ruined our life. And, um, he, you know, God hates me. And, and that's why he'd taken to the bottle and all the rest of it. And, and he just flew into a rage. And, and um, he said, God forgot us. Anyway, she said, Papa, I've got, I've got a story to tell you. The little boy who led to the Lord, led his whole village to the Lord. And she said, now there are 600 people serving God in Africa. Because of that little boy that you led to the Lord. He said, you didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. Jesus loves you and has never hated you. Unfortunately, by the end of the day, she was able to lead him back to the Lord. And it wasn't long. It was only a few weeks before, because of the ravages of alcoholism, that he died. But fortunately, he died in a place of grace. What if, if it stayed in Africa, we're different. All I'm saying, the promise stands, my friends. God, can, can, God cannot deny his word, my friends. If you sow in tears, you will reap with joy. It may not always be in this life, but you will reap. That's our call. That's why we look back in hope. We've just sung it. Nothing, nothing compares to the promise I have in you, right? So my friends, we go out this morning. Time is gone. Whatever else you have to do, my friends, in life, you have to sow. You have to sow the word, right? You have to sow in prayer every day. Every day. Whatever else you want to do for a living, you're sowing kindness every day and love. You're sowing righteousness every day. And I, have, you have, I give you God's promise. You will reap with sounds of joy. Amen? Amen. Amen.